All right, well, as we were preparing for this, as you saw, we talked about it here a little bit. I apologized ahead of time. We will not be finishing the book of Hebrews here tonight. <laughs> we started off with, uh, I spent a good bit of the afternoon, morning, breaking down verse 18. There was a lot of breaking down to be done in that verse. And uh, combing through some other places in Scripture where it looked at the topic of uh, prayer being asked for. Pray for me. Because that's how he starts out here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18. Pray for us. So he's asking them to pray for us and he does list some things to do it. And so I was going through the other areas of Scripture and looking at what things they asked them to pray for. But then as we're going along and looking at that, the idea of corporate prayer came up. And we really needed to spend some time on the corporate prayer issue before we get into the other. So we're dividing this into two areas as we look at um, what we should do when someone asks us to pray for them or what we can expect if we ask others to be praying for us. What should we ask for them? What should we expect them to be praying for? So we'll start off here in this part looking at what is the purpose of corporate prayer. Does more people praying talk God into it? Because if you listen to the way that some people talk about it, that's really their expectation. If I get enough people praying, we can talk God into this thing. Uh, maybe he needs to know how many are interested. Maybe that influences them. Maybe God thinks, well, there's only two people out there who care about it. Maybe that has an effect on it. But it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, it's, that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, why do I need others to pray at all? So we need to answer some of these questions because if we're going to come together for corporate prayer or if we're going to have the expectation of corporate prayer or if we are going to go out and pray for other people, our expectations need to be in the Word, instead of just formed by public opinion and what tradition has typically handed down. So what things need corporate prayer and what things don't? As I was looking at this, there's an awful lot of time spent in corporate prayer on things that don't need corporate prayer. And by doing that, we're bypassing the things that, that need it. So, here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, it says, we're just looking at these first three words here. Pray for us. And originally, I called this the whole lesson, pray for us, but we're going to be changing it to the next one. That's going to be pray for us. This one is pray with us. When we come together and pray corporately, what is the purpose? So in order to uh, figure this out, first off, we're going to be taking a look at the scriptures that have to do with praying for salvation. Because when we pray for someone to be saved, we are praying for God to move. And the Word of God has a lot to say on this particular issue. And so by looking at it, we can learn how corporate prayer can affect and be effective in other areas as well. <clears throat> so, I think I put in your outline, can God just save people because we prayed for them? Now, we all know the answer to that. No, of course he can't. But we still pray, don't we? 
So we know it's not up to God that they get saved, but we still pray. And I think rightfully so. There's verses in the Word of God that say that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Well, there's, there's Paul himself praying to God that Israel would be saved. So if Paul himself is praying that people would get saved, it certainly is an okay thing to do. But we're praying for God to do what He said He wants, but He can't make them do it. So everything that we can learn from the Word of God about this will shed light on what we're going to pray for on these other areas. That's why we're hitting this this area first. Um, just like in salvation, we're in the same way. God can't just heal people. Because we asked them to, Kenny. Their faith is involved. He can't just change their finances. He can't just give them peace because I decided to pray for that person. Their faith needs to be engaged. Just like their faith needs to be engaged for salvation, their faith needs to be engaged for healing. They need to be engaged for whatever it is that they're going to receive from God. Their faith needs to be engaged. So if their faith needs to be engaged... What am I praying for? This is what we need to figure out. Why do we pray together for something that still will involve that person doing something? So we're going to look at this topic of salvation first. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to have the, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So God is coming down and he, the, the wording he uses here is that he will circumcise their heart. This is something that God would do. So God would have an outward reaction, uh, action on it in the circumcision of the heart, basically to take the hard shell off of the heart so that the heart would be soft and receivable. This is something that God would do. And so prayers are being made in, re- in relation to this. This is something that we can pray for. And sometimes we've even heard people say this, and, and you probably have even prayed to your, yourself, Father, soften their hearts. And that's what this is, is speaking about. It's a softening of the heart. If we go over to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now this is God speaking about what he's going to do. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh. That's a hard heart. And give them a heart of flesh, a soft heart. So here again, we have the soft heart issue. God is, is stepping in and doing something. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you, you will keep your judgments and do them. Now when it says there that he causes them to walk in their statutes, it doesn't mean he forces them to because we know that God doesn't do that. God doesn't force people to go in a certain direction. But he puts his spirit in them 
And that spirit would quicken to the things of the word and point them in a direction in which they should go. So there's the cause. But I can still fight it if I want to. But if I have a soft heart, if I have a circumcised heart, then my resistance to the things of God should be less. Then I should be more open to it. Continuing on, Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia. This is when uh, Paul had gone into the area for the first time. And they had uh, uh, received, God had uh, called them into there. Of course, they had the vision from Macedonia and they, they went on out there. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. All right, so Paul is dispatched. Paul is sent. Why is Paul here in this area? Because he went on the mission that God had sent him on. And as he is going, he's seeking God's direction. Remember, he's, the, the Spirit forbade us to go over here and then forbade us to get over here. And then we had this vision, night vision, of the man in Macedonia beckoning us to come. So we perceived that we should go. And so they went. And this is where they came to. And so as he's there, he's there because the Spirit of God drew him to this area. So Paul is there and Paul speaks the words that God gave him. There's an anointing on those words because there's an anointing on Paul and the preaching of the gospel that he has. Now, not everyone opened their hearts to hear. But she did. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she has a soft heart. She hears the the word and she receives it. Now, there's other people there that could have had a soft heart, but they decided to harden it. Something was said, they didn't like it, whatever it might be, they hardened it. But Lydia, she received it, and that was the uh, the opening here into things of the of the Lord uh, being established. And of course, the church was established there. Paul and Timothy, they got beat, put in prison, all that sort of stuff. But good things did happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, we see that Satan's influence needs to be removed. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who did not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. So the God of this age came and instead of having a soft heart, they have a hard heart because their eyes are blinded. They can't see. So God is trying to soften their heart. The enemy is basically trying to harden their heart. So you've got two supernatural influences upon the people. One to soften, one to harden. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, Brother Hagin used to teach us when we were praying for the unsaved, that if you're going to pray for them, that there are two things that you ought to pray. First off, pray against the work of the enemy. Take authority over his, his work. That first off, bind him up. In the name of Jesus, devil, you will not blind their eyes. Their eyes will be wide open. I cannot pray that they decide, but I can pray that the light reaches them. That they can see it. They may not accept it. Their hearts may not receive it. God cannot do anything about that except to give them every opportunity to receive it by giving them a softer heart and giving them opportunity in, in this area, opening their, their eyes to the light. 
But it's still them that has to say, I'll accept that. But see, Satan's trying to take that free choice from them. He's trying to blind them from the truth so that they can't see it. So we have the place to take authority over him in this world over those people. I, I take authority over you, Satan. You will not blind their eyes. Their eyes will be wide open. And if they should decide to choose hell over heaven, it is their choice, not yours. Take authority over him for doing that. The second area that you would do is uh, Jesus' words were, the the harvest is white, and the, uh, the the field is white of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest send laborers into the field. Well, that's Jesus is telling you to pray that way, so pray that way. Father God, I pray send people along the path of so and so. I pray right now for this day for your your workers, people in the body of Christ to come and to minister your love, to minister your word to them. You pray those two things, that's a whole lot better than all oh, God save them. That's useless. No, no, no sense in doing that. Pray, have your uh, prayers be effective. So, now we've covered those things before, that's certainly nothing new to you. But again, we're looking at this for the application of corporate prayer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, we're going to see three things here, three parts that are needed. It says here, I planted, speaking of Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So in order for there to be an increase from the seed of the Word of God, there were three things that were needed. First off, someone needs to go and plant. Second, someone needs to go and water. Third, God gives the increase. All three of those things are outside of the person who receives the seed. That's why you can pray for these particular things. First off, I planted. I can pray for people to go and to plant the seeds. Secondly, once the seeds are planted, I can pray for people to go and to water the seeds. Paul is saying here in this situation, I went some places and I planted the seed. Apollos followed up and he watered them. He took the seed that was already planted and he watered it. Paul liked to go into places that hadn't had the gospel yet. That's what his call was. And so he would he would go. He wrote to the Romans. He says, I plan on coming to see you guys, but not until I finish hitting all the areas that haven't heard the gospel yet. Once I do that, I'll come and see you guys. But you already got the gospel. There's still other places that don't have it yet. I need to go to them. And so that's what his focus was. And once he accomplished that, and there was apparently a point where he would feel like he was a, he's accomplished it, he would go out there and he would do that. Now, Paul did this some watering too. You remember in the second missionary journey, what, what was their purpose of the second missionary journey? To go back and to strengthen the brethren. Now, it became more than that, and they began to go to some places that they hadn't gone on the first one. But the main purpose of the second missionary journey on uh, Paul and Barnabas' part was to go back to all the places that they went to. And so as it ended up, Barnabas went to one area that they went to, and Paul went to another. And then Paul expanded it, and they just kept on going into some other areas. But that was the, the purpose. So Paul was going to be doing some watering too. But here in this particular example, we see three parts. First off, that there's a planter. Secondly, there's a waterer. And third, God gives the increase. So it is God who gives the revelation. God who gives the understanding of the word of God that they receive. And that is what brings the increase. So people, uh, three things we're praying for here. First off, people to be sent to sow. Secondly, people to be sent to water. And third, 
for the seed to grow. Father God, I thank you that you are taking that seed that is inside of them and that you are uh, causing that to grow. You are causing that water that has been put there by your servants to cause that seed to flourish, to grow inside that one. I thank you that you have given them a soft heart. And I continue to take authority over the devil. Devil, you will not blind them seeing the revelation, the light of the glory of the gospel. And this is how we pray for, for these. So these are the things that you would do in the area of having God move on behalf of a, a person to be saved. And we know above all things, the thing that God desires most is that people get saved. Amen. He desires that they get healed, but even more so that they get saved. Amen. He desires, desires that they would, uh, their finances be taken care of, but he desires even more that they be saved. There is nothing in the word of God that he desires more than that they would be saved. That's the first and foremost that he wants to have them do. So if that's the first and foremost, the greatest thing in the, in the heart of God, if he's going to force anybody to do anything, he'd force them to do that. But he doesn't force them to do that. It's their own free choice. So we need to look at what he does in the area of salvation and we can apply it to the other areas. Because if he will do it for these areas, he will also do it on the, on the others. So, now we're going to take some time here, and what we want to do is just look at some examples of corporate prayer in the Word of God. Times that people came together to pray for a specific thing. We're not talking about times when Paul would say, will you pray for me on this, and everybody would go their own way and pray. We're going to cover that next time. We're looking at when people came together as a group and corporately prayed. Because you're going to see both those things going on in the Word of God. First off, people coming together as a, in a, in a corporate body to pray for a particular thing. And secondly, for people to pray on a particular thing on their own. So here's the first one we're going to look at. It's over in uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read over the problem first and then we're going to see what they did about it. But it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now he, we know from the rest of, of uh, Nehemiah, I'm sure you're not all novices to Nehemiah, you've, you've been through it a time or two. Uh, and you know, this is the uh, account of rebuilding the wall and that Sambalat was the enemy of this and did not want the Jews to have the wall built. And he spoke, verse 2, and he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they com- compete, um, complete it in a, in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. A little bit different from how Jesus prayed, huh? <laughs> a little bit different from Stephen. Now he says, no, you remember this. <laughs> you remember this when it, when it comes time. 
Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the, the builders. So he, we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and became of them, and, and be, because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now look at this. Here's the problem. The enemy is coming around them because they are close to accomplishing what God called them to do. Nehemiah had a call in his life to rebuild the wall. He answered that call. It may not be as spiritual as building the temple. It may not be as spiritual as uh, establishing the priesthood for them or whatever else it might have been. But to him, it was the most spiritual thing to do. And he was completely uh, focused on just accomplishing this vision. Verse 9 again. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. So we came together because this is a problem that is affecting us and we prayed. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. In other words, the materials we have, they aren't very good. They're broken down. They're trying to reuse as much of the stone as they had. Uh, but some of that stone was so broken up that they weren't able to, to use it. And our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. So the enemy is trying to put fear in them. This is, this is not Satan. This is not the enemy of, of God. This is the, this is people. People are trying to sow this and they still do it to us today. They try and sow fear. This is what's going on here with them. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from wherever place you turn they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. All right, we're, we're given a little bit of an indication what what happened. We're not told everything that happened, but what we are told is here's the problem. The enemy wants to come in through people and stop the work that's being done on the wall. God wanted the work done on the wall. He raised up a man to accomplish the, the work on the wall, Nehemiah. He came in and raised up other people and, and passed the vision on to them. And they all came together and were working and said they had a mind to work. They were ready to, to put some effort in and they did. And when the enemy began to see that they were accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish, they stepped up their game and they tried to sow more fear into them. So they came together and they prayed to their God against this from going on. Now, looking at the things in the area of salvation, we cannot pray 
that, uh, oh, God, just uh, just uh, uh, make them not do this. <laughs> That's not how you... You can't say, God, make them get saved. Can't do that. So, the end result here, and I love listening to the end result, and it happened, verse 15. <laughs> it just, just happened. No, it happened because God brought it about. Because the people came together and they prayed. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his, to his work. So the thing that they had done to come against the, the wall being built was put a stop to as a direct result of their prayer. Then they came together. So it was a good thing that they came together to pray, wouldn't you say? Now that's just one example. We'll tie in all the, all the different aspects of this as we get through, but I want you to, to just see the details of the story and then we'll pull them together here in the end. Here's another one. Esther chapter 4, verse 16. Well, you know the story of, of Esther and the plot that was there against the Jews to wipe them out. Who would inspire such a plot to wipe out the Jews? These are the Jews that were in captivity. We know that would be Satan. Satan would inspire it. But the entire book of Esther is about people coming against the Jews. So the enemy, Satan, sows it into the heart of these people to come against the Jews. They think it's their own idea. It's not. It's the enemies. And they're accomplishing the purpose of the enemy. They think they're accomplishing their own purpose. And so Mordecai comes to her and says, uh, you need to bring this plot to the attention of the king so that it can be stopped. And she said, oh, I can't do that. If I go before the king and you're not called, you can get, you can get uh, killed. And of course, that's where the whole book of Esther started. Uh, queen, queen Vesti uh, was called and she didn't want to come. <laughs> And there's a lot more into that story. We spent time on it before. But she didn't come. And so uh, they said, well, we can't have this going on. And so we need to uh, uh, take care of it. So they took care of the situation and made sure that uh, she's no longer queen. And, and so they had to go find a new queen. And so the search went on and eventually they came down to Esther. Esther was chosen. And so she's in the palace now. And Mordecai, he says to her, he says, don't think that you're going to escape this just because you're in the palace. It's going to come to you too there. Don't you, don't you be, uh, in some kind of safety. And so she finally agrees. She says, alright, I'll bring it to the attention of the king, and if I die, I die. Let's read up here in verse 16. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Tushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way, and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Well, this is the time of corporate prayer, isn't it? This is the time we all need to get together and pray together for this. And so that's what they did. Because the, the their nation was under an attack. And they were trying to wipe them out. The enemy wanted to wipe them all out. And so they came together. And of course, we know the rest of the story with that. And, and how the plot was brought to light. And all the things that are going on from... Uh, uh, honor going on to Mordecai because of uh, things he had done in the past and uh, all the uh, humiliation on the enemies and then finally the whole plot is brought to light and the guy uh, 
gets killed on the very gallows he wanted to kill the Jews on. And so that's where it came about. But that was a time when the, they had to come together as a nation and, and pray. In uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, this is a much smaller group, but still, it's a group prayer. <laughs> then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Of course, they did that because they uh, could not tell the king the dream and thereby qualify them for being able to give us interpretation. He answered and said to Arioch, the, the king's captain, why is the, the decree from the king so urgent that Arioch made the decision known to Daniel? So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So they needed to receive something from God. Again, a plot was hatched by Satan to wipe out the uh, the Jews, the very important Jews, because Daniel... I guess Dan, uh, he must have had an inkling. Daniel's going to be an important guy. we got to try and wipe this out now. And so he is willing to wipe the entire group out to get Daniel and his buddies. Because there are going to be too much of a positive influence on this evil kingdom. And of course they were, and they kept taking the evil kingdom into a positive direction. And were a very um, godly influence on King Nebuchadnezzar, so that the King Nebuchadnezzar even though he went bad sometimes, he also went good. I'd say some, in some ways Nebuchadnezzar was a better king than some of the kings of the northern tribes of Israel. Pretty much all the kings of the northern tribes of Israel. They were all, all pretty bad. They didn't really have any good times. At least Nebuchadnezzar had some good times. And that was because of Daniel. And the enemy's trying to wipe him out now. And Daniel was very instrumental in the things that would come for the future of the nation. So we got to get rid of this guy. So they come together and they say, God, uh, you have a purpose for us. That purpose has not been realized yet. And in order for that to be accomplished, we need to know the dream and its interpretation. So they needed to receive something from God. And so they got together and they prayed to receive that thing from God. And they did. They were successful. All right, let's go on to another one. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, and his disciples also followed him. And when he had come to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So apparently this was a custom to bring these guys out and to have a corporate time of prayer. Here's what he says to them, though, this time. He said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I don't know that I can speak with any certain authority, but I, it seems to me that he didn't say this to them the other times they came together. This is something that was unique for this particular time. Pray that you may not enter into temptation because temptation was coming at the end of this session. The temptation to forsake Jesus, to run, to, um, to not hold true to the confession of their faith. 
So he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. I'm not sure who's throwing. But uh, that's how he describes it. <laughs> and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Now, a stone's throw, I don't care who's throwing. You know, we're, we're talking at least grown men here. Um, you can throw a stone pretty far. So you're looking far enough away that he's, he's out of earshot. The others are not hearing, though the three would. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We know that because of the three that were not that far away. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he'd come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow and he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Well, of course, they didn't accomplish that very well. They uh, kept falling asleep, and they did in, enter into temptation. But the only one you say that didn't do that was John. He uh, stayed with Jesus right up until the end. He's even there at the cross. The other ones are all gone away. And Peter, of course, he's the, the biggest culprit of them. We know what, uh, what he had done. Well, this is the time of corporate prayer, and the purpose for which is that uh, as Jesus was, was praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Well, he's praying along the same lines of what he told them. Because the idea would be that Jesus doesn't fall into temptation and pursue his will over the Father's. So he's praying along the same lines as what, what they are. We just know the specifics of what he prayed. We just don't know what his will was. He didn't uh, make that known to them. So this is a a fourth time of, of corporate prayer. So we got one more we're going to look at. And this is over in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. I would dare say that if you were ever going to think about corporate prayer, this is the story that you probably think of. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, by const but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Put your garment, uh, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, from the story, we understand that Peter was in prison and there was really no way for him to get out. He is bound. There's guards around. There's gates. And there's guards at the gates. And so, and, but an angel appears and the, 
changes fall off and gates just open. He doesn't come over there and pick the lock. They just fall off. The gate just opens of its own accord. And there was two gates, so I guess both of them did the did that. Why did that happen? Because they were praying. It's that's why the story starts off with the corporate prayer first and then goes right into the fact that they were uh, that Peter was, was removed. Of course, if you go on in the story, you find out how much faith they had. <laughs> Apparently, it wasn't real high. <laughs> but it still, it still seemed to work. <laughs> oh, Peter's not outside, no. Well, maybe they weren't uh, expecting him to be brought out of prison. They were just expecting him to be spared. And maybe the court case to go a little differently. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they were expecting. Can't speak to that because we weren't told, but they surely, surely were not expecting him to show up at the door. And he did. And they didn't want to answer it because they were in fear that other people would be locked up as well and then killed. So these are five instances of corporate prayer. Of times when people came together to pray for a particular thing. So we're looking at these examples to determine when are we to pray together or to seek prayers of others. So neither corporate prayer or the prayers of others is used for, there's a couple of things that it's not used for. We're going to hit that first here. You won't see this going on. Uh, turn over to James chapter th- to chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The first thing you will not find corporate prayer or prayers sought after of others is healing. It is never done in Scripture. It is constantly done in the church. Here. Today. And in past decades as well. But it was never done in the book of Acts. It was never done in the Gospels. They did not gather together to pray that a certain one would be healed. They would go and they would pray over them. They would lay hands on them. And he even says here in this particular verse, if you are sick, what are you supposed to do? Call for the elders. doesn't say that all the elders or all the church people ought to get together and pray for that individual. It doesn't say that. It says call for them to lay hands on them. And that's what we need to do. Now, there's times that the faith of the person being healed is not always in play. But they're still the recipient of prayers that are being made for them. But it's prayers that are made in the form of laying on the hands and that person speaking to the sickness and disease, not praying to God. Oh, God, please heal this one. That's what we've morphed into. But that's not what it is in the Word of God. And we need to follow the Word Word of God's example. You look at people who pray today, how often they pray, oh God, let this happen. Oh God, heal this person. Oh God, please make this one better. And you ask them, have you ever had success with that? No. But they'll still do it. But you get them to do something that's in the Word of God, and if they fail once or twice, they're ready to quit. (laughs) Isn't that amazing how much endurance we have to do things that are not in the Word and how little endurance we have to do the things that are. 
That will show you the spiritual uh, uh, battle that goes on. The uh, persecution on the seed that comes. The tribulations and persecutions of the parable we just looked at on Sunday that come because of the word. When the word's not in there, you don't have the tribulation or persecution. So it's really easy to endure. I would think that if people have been praying for 40 years a certain way and it doesn't work, that they quit. But they don't. They keep praying the same way. So that's one thing that we, we don't do. Um, secondly, I, I just wrote it in here this way. You can probably write it a, a bunch of different ways, but write it in however it means anything to you. I put emotional trauma. If someone is having an emotional moment, an emotional trauma, if they're bothered by bad feelings, emotions gone amok, it says here, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. If you're going through some stuff emotionally, it's not for someone else to be praying for you. It's for you to be praying. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him what? Let him pray. And yet constantly you'll hear this in the body of Christ. Oh, I'm going through so much. Please pray for me. No, you need to to pray. What should you pray? Well, you pray the word. Now, most people, if they're going to pray, I know I'm not speaking to people in the room, but I'll know better than this, but most people, when they pray, they'll go to, all right, I'll pray. Oh, God, please help me. Life is so hard. I just want to die. <laughs> That's not going to help you. What you need to do is go out there and pray the Word of God. Father God, I thank you. The Word of God says, let the weak say, I am strong. And I'm here to say, I am strong. <laughs> and you begin to declare some things about your life. That'll change your your, your outlook on thing, but you get five or ten people praying, oh God, please help that person. Oh God, please help that person with all their sad feelings. Oh, that's not going to help them. It's not going to change their life. You got to get that person to the place to pray in. You won't find a single time in the Word of God where they all got together and said, brother or sister is feeling bad. Let's all pray for them. That's not what you're finding in there. And James right here is very specific. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In Nehemiah, even though the people were emotionally affected, the prayers were not in that direction. They were emotionally bothered in the book of Nehemiah. But that's not where the prayers went. That's what's in the Word of God. Here's another one for you. Individual finances. How many times do we get together people say, oh, pray for me for this. You might be able to find a time or two where they corporately got together to pray for a financial need that was needed for the kingdom of God. A church or or something like that or um, a particular minister or ministries or something may have gone on that way. But for the most part, individual finances, you need to go out there and, and ask God yourself. Remember when Peter had an individual financial need. We don't get too many times of this in the Word of God, but we have that one. He had an individual financial need. Then they came back to the home. They came back to the to the home place. And if you ever wonder why it's just Jesus and Peter that are being uh, questioned about that, well, it's their home. The other disciples, it wasn't their home. See, Jesus moved to Peter's town. Jesus had a home. There's a couple of places in the Word of God you'll see Jesus had a house. <laughs> 
And so uh, it was in the place where Peter lived. I don't know if they were exactly neighbors, but they were in the same town. We're not going to spend time on that, but you could easily see that in the Word of God. But uh, that's why they came for the tax, because they they had come to their hometown. And they say, hey, what about this tax? You guys haven't paid that yet. And so they had an individual financial need. And they didn't say, hey, disciples, we need to all get together and pray. He didn't even go over to Judas and say, hey, Judas, pay that. He just said, go out there and catch a fish. And then the fish will find two coins, one for me, one for you. And it was taken care of that way. So in these five examples of corporate prayer, now you can probably find some other things. I just wanted to give you a few things that uh, a lot of people spend a lot of time praying on. But you could probably find some other ones in there as well that people spend a lot of time praying corporately but really have no scriptural basis. But we have five examples of corporate prayer in the Word that we looked at. And the reason for prayer is the same. Even though we have five different examples, the reason for prayer is the same. First off, there is the plan of God. In each of these situations that we described to you, there is the plan of God. Second, there is the plot of the enemy. And third, there is the role of evil people. In each of these five examples, we're going to see three things. There is the plan of God. God had a plan. There is the plot of the enemy. The enemy was trying to subvert that plan, take it in another direction. And there is the role of evil people. Now, in the first case with Nehemiah, the plan of God was, we are restoring Israel back home. So we're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to establish sacrifices. This was the plan of God. And he had different people raised up for it. Ezra was one. Nehemiah was one. Other people were raised up. Daniel was one of the ones who was involved in, in this. And, and others, I'm sure that probably more than are in the Word of God, were raised up for this purpose. This is the plan of God. Well, the, the enemy doesn't like this. So he's plotted against it, and he stirred up some evil people to carry this thing out. And in the story with Nehemiah, we were told some of those evil people's names and what they were, what they were trying to do. Well, beyond that, we also had the, uh, in the book of Esther, we had the plot against the Jews. The plan of God was that the Jews would go into this captivity, they'd be protected, that there would be a remnant, and that remnant would stay Jewish people following after God, and then at the end of the uh, 70 years, they would be taken back and put into the, in, back into the land. Well, the enemy said, we're going, to, we're going to stop that. And in this place where God's protecting them and keeping them together, because the Assyrians dispersed them. The Babylonians didn't. And so we're going to take this little group of, of people and we're going to wipe them out. We're going to get rid of all of them. I don't want to leave anything going. And so he's, he's concocted a plan about it. And then there were evil people to step in and to, to take care of that. In the book of Daniel, God had a plan. I am going to bring revelation to Daniel. This revelation is going to help people for for um, thousands of years about the end times and about the Jewish people and about the state that would be there. The devil is so afraid of this that when revelation is being brought to Daniel, he tries to stop it. 
The only time in the Word of God. I'm not sure it's the only time that ever happened, but the only time in the Word of God we have revelation hindered from reaching man is concerning the end times and in the book of Daniel. Only time it ever happened. At least that we're told about it. <clears throat> I imagine just because it happened once, it probably happened other times. But the only time that God wanted us to know about it was when it happened for the end times. So there were evil people who were going to carry out the plan of Satan to wipe out Daniel and his buddies. So this revelation would never get anywhere. Jesus in the garden. The devil wants all of them to fall into temptation. There were evil people that were brought along carrying out the plan of the of the devil to kill Jesus. They brought along evil people for it. Well, they were successful in killing Jesus, but they were not successful in stopping the plan of God. And then Peter in jail. Peter was, a, was an effective minister of the gospel. Such unusual miracles being done by him. People were getting saved when they saw the power of God that came down through Peter. They heard the words that were proclaimed with his mouth. They just, it was, it was having an effect upon people, a very positive effect, and, and thousands were coming to Christ. Well, we need to get rid of this Peter. That's the plan of the enemy. God has a thing he wants to do through Peter. Enemy wants to wipe him out. So we get evil people to, to rise up, and we're going to kill Peter. And so people pray. So here's the, here are the things that we see and this again, there is the plan of God. There's the plot of the enemy in the role of evil people. If you're going to have corporate prayer, you've got to follow the pattern of the Word of God. There needs to be the plan of God. It needs to be known. What is the plan of God that we're going after? Secondly, there's a plot of the enemy. And third, there's a role of evil people. You have those three things that are involved. And now you've got a, a time for corporate prayer. But see, we're throwing a lot of things out for corporate prayer that don't involve these things. And what we do when we do that is we lessen the importance of corporate prayer. And what happens anymore, it used to be, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you have corporate prayer time, everybody came out. Now you have corporate prayer time and very few do. Because they've seen less importance of it. The prayer is not to convince God to do the first thing, the plan of God. If it's the plan of God, God's going to do it. This is what God, God has said, this is what I'm going to do. He's declared it. It is not for God to supernaturally stop the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't ever supernaturally stop the enemy. When he does, it is part of his plan. He declares it. When you see the children of Israel come up to the Red Sea, he declared that plan way ahead of time. No, no, no. You, don't you worry about this. We don't need any corporate prayer. <laughs> we don't need anybody to get down on our knees and be praying for this. This is my plan. This is what I'm doing. I am carrying this thing out. And these guys, these armies that you see, you're not going to see them anymore. I'm wiping them out. He's going to take care of them. So I don't need to pray for God to supernaturally stop the enemy. Because if it's part of his plan to stop it, he's going to do it. Remember the uh, story with Jehoshaphat in the battle? They didn't all need to get together and say, Oh, God, please show up for this battle. Oh, God, please do this. No, he, God came to them and said, Look, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. I just need you to follow it. I want you to put the praises in front because you're not going to need the swords out in front. 
because I'm going to do something here and I'm going to fight for you. And he said what he was going to, what he was going to do. When God declares a plan, he carries it out. When they went out to Jericho, God declared, here's the plan. Y'all don't need to get together and corporately pray that I'll accomplish it. Because I said, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, when he declares that the plan is going to be a certain way, that's what it's going to be. When he declared the, the, the ten plagues, no one needed to corporately pray to bring it about. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And they did it. They complained. They didn't pray. They complained. And God still brought it about. So, prayer is not to convince God to do the first, the, the plan of God. It is not for God supernaturally to, to supernaturally stop the enemy. It is to expose the enemy's plans. Now, there's other places where God has done this. We didn't cover them. Remember, there was an enemy's plan against Paul to wipe him out. And that was exposed. It is to expose the enemy's plans. This is what we come together for when we come together to pray. I am not praying, oh God, please do what you said you're going to do. <laughs> if I have the plan of God, if I have a promise of God, if I have what is said in his word, then he's going to do it. When Moses was interceding for Israel, there's no corporate prayer there. There's only one guy. But still, the, the concept is, is there. He was not trying to talk God out of something. He simply reminded God of his promise. God, you said, this is your plan. This is what you said. Now, if you go through and you do what you just are, were thinking about doing, if you do that, this is what people are going to say about you. That's all he, he just reminded him. I don't need to talk God into doing his plan. He's already said he wants to do it. And if God wants to do it, he'll do it. So it is to expose the enemy's plans and is to receive what God sends. I need to expose the enemy's plans and I need to receive what God sends. We, we get together to corporately pray to receive what God wants to send. If God wants to send revival and we get together corporately to pray for, for that, God has stated, I am sending revival. And then we need to pray, not that God does it, because God said He's going to do it, but I can pray, Father God, we need to receive this. Because when revival comes, we can resist it. We don't have to, to give in. So to receive what God sends. So again, to... The plan of God, that's, a, that's God's promise. Here's the, here's the next one. To overcome the power of men. Now, of course, men there is in a generic sense. Men, women, people. Just people didn't sound right. But to overcome the power of men. People. That would come against the things of God. In the Word of God, we have males and females coming against the things of God. Just as much as, uh, as anything else. So... Uh, Certainly the male, the men are more prominent in their coming against the plans of God, but there's a whole lot of women out there who did it too. To overcome the power of men. So we can pray in, in that, in that way. Father God, th- so and so, such and such has come against the things of God. When Paul had people who came against him, they got the, he told people, you pray for me for this particular thing over here, because these ones, they want to stop it. And he would tell them, Here's the next one. And deception brought to light. Deception 
brought to light. Now, just because deception is brought to light doesn't mean people are going to just all of a sudden, oh, look at that. Because some people won't receive it. You can reveal deception and people say, no, nah, I don't believe that. And they'll go on their way. That's that's what that's what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, you know, we've talked about it all the time, but all the deception that goes on when people talk about climate change and global warming and all this other stuff. I just saw somebody publish a, uh, an article by one of my old roommates. Uh, published an article of um, uh, it was written in 1989. 1989 that by the year 2000, he was reading about all the different things were going to be underwater because of everything melting. 1989, the year 2000. Of course, Al Gore's prediction, you know, about Florida being disappeared and about the ice caps melting and no more snow. And uh, th- that, went, that went by the wayside a long, long time ago. Um, and no one made a, any stink about it, that his prediction was, was failed. In the 60s, they predicted that the oceans were going to die. Remember Ted Danson? Oceans are going to die. He had a little heart sh- heart felt thing he's pulling you know the poor oceans are all going to die they die we're going to die and uh generally they always give you like 10 20 to 25 years <laughs> and constantly they they hit those deadlines and, and nothing changes they're still trying to sell people on the fact that there's less ice and you know they show you the pictures of ice collapsing into the into the water it happens all the time ice grows and then it collapses and then more grows and uh there apparently is more ice in all these places <laughs> but they, they don't want to promote that. Polar bears are dying. Polar bear population is higher now than it has been in uh, decades. But they don't want to promote these, these things. They want to keep promoting their lies. Now, you can expose all these things and show people the, the statistics. You can show people that it hasn't changed and uh, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. You're just a denier. So just because deception is brought to light doesn't mean that people will automatically go the right way. But I can still pray for the deception to be brought to light. And if you want to keep on going the, 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 the wrong way, that's up to you. But see, when we come together and pray corporately, I cannot pray that God, God make those people stop. Cannot do that. If He won't make them get saved, He's not going to make them stop whatever He's doing. But bring what they're doing to light. We can pray to overcome the power of men. Now understand this, when we pray, we are not praying to get God more power. God does not need more power. When God has a victory, I want you to look at all the victories in the Old Testament. The Red Sea, the victory with Jehoshaphat, the victory that the lepers came upon and found. And um, just I mean, time and time again, how many victories were in the Old Testament? Uh, and it wasn't a close battle. There's not a single one that was a close battle. When God came through and that army of, of Egypt faced God, it wasn't like, oh man, we just barely lost that. <laughs> the power of God came crashing down and they couldn't stand, they couldn't do a thing. And in seconds it was all over. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a fair battle. It was, it was over. And when God shows up and says, I'm gonna fight this battle, it's never close. We don't need to pray to get God more strength. Because if God just moves his little finger, people die. <laughs> Remember the angel of the Lord showed up one night? 185,000 died in one night. One angel. Angel of the Lord. One night. When God shows up, 
The battle is not close. We are not praying so that God is empowered. We are not praying to convince God to do what He's going to do. When we come together for corporate prayer, we have the plan of God. There is the plot of the enemy. And there is evil men who want to rise up against us. And we can come against all these things. But that's how we are to pray. Now, corporate prayer times do not need to accomplish all these things each time. Sometimes you come together to expose the enemy's plan. Sometimes you come together and you pray more on the side of receiving what God sends or to overcome uh, uh, or to bring deception to light. These things, you may, you may focus on one or two or uh, you don't have to necessarily focus on all these things. Don't Please don't go out of here and think, well, every time we come together corporate prayer, this is all we've got to accomplish, all these things. No, you may come together and just do one. If we're praying in the area of revival, we're just praying for the receiving of us, that we, we receive what it is that God sent it. But that's what corporate prayer is going to do. If we look at what it's done in, in the Word of God. Let's see. As we said, when God engages in battle, He doesn't barely win. He wipes them out. (laughs) The battle is won or lost in these areas, not on the strength of God, but by the hearts of men. And that's what we saw in the beginning here, what God begins to work on. I'll give you a soft heart. I've circumcised your heart. This generation and the ones to come. We need to to be receiving of it. But the enemy wants to blind their eyes to see the light and to make their hearts hard to the gospel and to the things of God. You see, Satan convinces people that it is in their best interest to go against the plan of God, even though they usually don't know that they are. He convinced Haman that it was in his best interest to come against Mordecai and the people of the Jewish nation. He convinced him, this is in your best interest to wipe these people out. It was not. If you come against God, God will come against you. But he convinced them of it. And time and time again, we see that. Pharaoh was convinced that it was in his best interest to keep the children of Israel against the words of God. And it was not. It ruined him. But this is what Satan does. He convinces people that it is their best interest to go against the plan of God, even though they don't know what the plan of God is or that they're going against it. He gets them to convince them. Now go back to the garden. And Satan convinced Adam and Eve that it was in their best interest to go against the plan of God. If he could make them believe who knew the plan of God, that it was in their best interest to go against the plan of God, how easy is it for him today compared to that? And look, when we go back to the story of Genesis, look how easy the deceiver was able to pull him in. This is what he's going to do. God will turn the light on for them, exposing the deception and the pending destruction 
He can prepare their heart to open it to the light. But in the end, they must receive it. If they don't receive it, destruction will come their way. When we come together for corporate prayer, these are the things we need to understand. I'm not coming together to corporate prayer because one person is going through something. We come together for corporate prayer because there is a plan of God. There is a plot of the enemy and there are evil people that have risen up and are being used by the enemy. This is what we come together for corporate prayer for. Sometimes we just pray for the receiving part. Sometimes we pray for the exposing part. But whatever it is that we come together for, we come together for those particular purposes. But don't get into the idea that corporate prayer will make it easier for people to get healed or for people to receive the blessings of God because there's nowhere in the Word of God that supports it. So we gave you five examples of corporate prayer. I'm sure that you can do some thinking and come up with some others. And when you do, go through and look at it for the same thing. Where is the plan of God? Where is the plot of the enemy? And where are the evil people the enemy has stirred up to come against God's people? In corporate prayer, every time we have that it's used in the Word of God, it is successful. Every single time they came together and they prayed corporately about a thing, even with the part with Peter, <laughs> apparently they weren't quite an expectation as high as God had said. But it still worked. It still came together. So there are times when we need to come together and pray. And when that happens, we have to elevate it in our own selves because we're too, too, too much used to, well, I'll just sit back home and I'll pray. <laughs> and there's, there's a time for that. And so the next time we get together, I'm not sure when that is going to be, but the next time we get together and we look at this, we're going to be looking at when we go away on our own and pray for a particular thing for other people. Because that's what we started off here in Hebrews. He said, pray for us. <laughs> and we're going to look at, and I, I got all kinds of good notes, and like I said, I spent most of my time on that, and then saw this, and we kind of threw this together in the last couple of hours. So, um, <laughs> left all that other stuff by the wayside. But this just kept growing. I thought, well, what we're going to do, is we'll, we'll cover this first, and then we'll get into the other part. And I said, no, we, we're not going to be able to do this justice by just kind of running through it. So I just want to make sure we spend some time on the, on the corporate prayer issue. And the next time we're going to be looking at uh, what, we, what we need to do when we go away, we pray for other people. Make sure we are praying for the right things and that we pray in the right way. And we've got lots of examples in the Word of God on this, this issue. So um, we'll have some, some, uh, a good time with that next time. Father, we thank you that you have a plan. And though the enemy may or may not know what those plans are, we know that he has plots against the kingdom of God and that he stirs up men come against us. But when we get together and we pray, we can tap into the power of God not to change the minds of men but to give them every opportunity to change their direction. To let the deception be exposed. The blindfolds be removed. And for them to see that they're going against the things of God. And Father, we can pray and hope that these people will be like Paul 
And when the blindfolds are removed, that they see. And they turn from their evil ways and they go in the way of God. But if they don't, we do not need to fear because our God is more than capable of wiping out anything that man tries to do. No plot of the enemy can be successful when we follow after the things that are in your word. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a few more blanks on the outline than usual. Did I get them all? Ten. Ten. I may have wiped out ten on mine. I don't have a ten. What's it say? Everything that takes place is with On the first page? Oh, first page, man. I was on the number ten. Everything that takes place is with people. I did not read that one over. I apologize for that. I, that was mine I left off. I think you may have said it. I don't know. I don't remember saying it. <laughs> Sometimes I can remember saying some of these things, but I don't remember saying that one. So I'll, I'll say that I skipped over that one and didn't do it, didn't do it right. But people to be sent to sow, people to be sent to water, and for the seed to grow. Everything that takes place is with people.